was hoping it'd be Bill Oddie. All right, cutting to the chase. Welcome again. Thank you so much to my lovely crowd of uh, Newport Comedy Room punters who come so regularly to see these shows. And stick around for these rather unique podcasts. We are, in fact, building up an interesting archive of some fantastic Australian or Australian working comedians who have really got a bead on uh, the, the social context and the zeitgeist, if I can use that word, because there is no one uh, more acutely able to comment on what's happening in real time as our stand-up comedian community. Now, community of stand-up comedians, I suppose that's true. We don't, you don't really get together and knit, though, comedians, but... Can I please welcome two, uh, two really hard-working comedians uh, in Victoria predominantly, but nationally and to some extent internationally, I think that's fair to say. Will you please welcome uh, to this television here at the Newport Comedy Room podcast, the wonderful Jeff Green and Matt Ellsbury. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stella. Thanks for having us and thanks for putting on such a great show with a wonderful audience. Um, we, we both had a great time tonight, didn't we? It was wonderful. Uh, look, my, and, um, I very rarely perform on raffia, but um, <laughs> it's, um, it's, 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 it's a first for me, I have to say. I'm just a little nervous that your intro, Stella, for, for the podcast uh, has set the bar a little high, talking about the zeitgeist, when I believe about an hour ago I was talking about my two-year-old and a cupcake. How profane are we allowed to be during this podcast? Very because profane. Because I might hurry the process up a bit with a few We can profane away, but we can, just can't defame. Ah. We can't do that. Now, listen, this is called Funny About Books. It's on Audible. You can, uh, you can pick it up on, on any of your Spotify or podcast listening devices that you have. But what we do here on this show is we talk to comedians about the nature of writing and what that actually means because writing comedy is a bit weird, isn't it? Um, it is weird. I've, uh, I've written three books. Three, well, I've written my shows, so I'm, I'm a writer. I often call myself a writer. When I, when I don't want to mention I'm a comedian in, in taxis, <laughs> I say I'm a writer. Yep. And, or, you know, if I'm coming into, the, um, you know, coming into the country and you have to put your, your, your occupation down. Because if you put comedian, they go, well, tell us a joke. And you say, well, your parents are proud of you. And then you don't get in. <laughs> My standard line is now, I say, I'm sorry, I'm a professional, I have to invoice you. <laughs> um, it but is yeah, awkward. But it Do you know Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac, still on her tax return, writes Rockstar. Right, that's beautiful. She's got a lot of attitude there. Um, um, okay. Yeah, so, I've, so I've, I've, I've wrote three books um, back in the 2000. Um, one was called The A to Z of Living Together. That was the first book. And then the second book was called The A to Z of Being Single, the tragic follow-up. And then the, <laughs> the, the third book was The A to Z of Having a Baby. And, and, and I've, I'm mine, and, and as Met do, uh, does, um, my personal life for material. And I, I'm actually a chemical engineer. That's my degree. Chemical no, engineer. shut up. Oh, genuinely, yeah. Which basically means I can make a bong out of anything, right? But um, did, you, did you say bomb? I, bong, not what? bomb. No, yeah. Uh, well, both, in fact. But I did, I did chemical engineering at uni. I'm, I'm, I'm a maths, physics, and chemistry. So I've always looked at jokes as like puzzles. So I, I see that I see the punchline. This is I'm, I'm speaking genuinely. I, I I try and put them together. I, I know there's a there's the perfect combination of, of the of the words and the, and where to put the punchline. And so I've often that's how, that's often how I approach writing. I um I try and find a theme to what I want to talk about each year. 
I give it a heading, and then I and then that gives me a spine so that I don't drift too far off. Or if I get writer's block, I know I've got to come back to to what I'm supposed to be talking about. So I was watching you tonight and your methodology, and so you start with the end and you you move back to the and so that you can create the logical conclusion. Yeah, I usually start with a punchline. I don't know what Matt says. I usually start with a punchline and then and then create the the, the proper build up, and then I and I really work hard on the on the words, and I and I try and make it as economic as possible and I try and choose the right words it's lo lots have been talked about in terms of comedy with what the right word Mark Twain talks a long time and so does Bill Bryson all about the correct word in in, a, in, in comedy writing so I, I try and I, I perform it with the audience often when audiences are, are watching me they think I'm talking but I'm not I'm listening I'm listening more than I talk so I'm listening to how they're, they're responding and then, and then I'm editing and I'm also remembering what how little bits went and so I change I change my delivery according to the audience I change the order of things I change the material I, I'm going to choose and and and, so, and and basically that's and that that then becomes the show. Because I was watching you again tonight, because I've seen you several times, and uh, I, I guess you 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 know it's like a matrix. You can mix it up and change it as you go. But w at what point do you walk into a room and determine how you're going to do that? Um, I'm lucky if the, I'm lucky if I'm on a bill. So I'm lucky if I've got people who are on before me, because that will give me a reading of the room. And then I'll look at the audience and I'll look at the demographics and I'll make a. Um, I even write on my hand still. Still write a set list out. A lot of people don't. A lot of comics don't. But I, I write a set list out for every show. Yeah. And it just makes me feel better. And I don't always follow it. In fact, I rarely follow it. But at least it's there and, and the material is front, front and centre of my mind. Well, look, I do put a bit of work into curating each show and making sure that the, that, that the acts kind of complement each other. And, and, and Matt, I know your work um, and Jeff, I know your work. And even though you're completely different, you do both love to talk about the, the arrival of children in your life and the, the sort of, I, I would say impact, but actually I think I should say onslaught. Yeah, well, it's such it's such an all-encompassing thing, particularly uh, as I mentioned before, I was stupid enough to come to this game particularly late, and so I, I think you kind of become the bridge. Then you have uh, the friends without children and the friends with children, and the the divide starts to open. Well, I was the friend without the children and became the friend with children, so I, I know what both sides are like, and. I won't say which one I want back because then the docs will come around and take my children away from me. Um, but it, it, you, you talk to each group, uh, but particularly because the arrival of children is just so all-encompassing, I have not had a proper night's sleep in five years. And it's not because uh, the, the asthma's acting up or anything like that. It's because of the arrival of Rugrats. It just changes every single thing. I don't think I, you ever sleep again after your children arrive. No. Not properly. I haven't slept for five years, but I have a bladder problem. It's entirely different. Um, but also, uh, equally, I have children. I had children later. My children were born in my forties, and uh, and uh, my so my sisters had kids. When, my sister was seventeen when she had a, a child. So you know, my my sister's kids are all grown up. I got I got grandchildren, uh, grand uh, nieces and stuff. But I had children later in life, like a fool. But but I, I'm really glad I did. I'm glad I got that out of way out of the way. I, I don't think I would have been a particularly great dad at that point. <clears throat> You, you, uh, look, I, I disagree, though, because, uh, look, th there is a physical toll on having children later in life, yeah. and, and you maybe do it a little bit out of sync with your, your coterie of friends and so forth. But actually, um, although my partner says to me our daughter is being raised as if by grandparents, which is not a great comment, yeah. <laughs> but... 
Wow. I know. Yeah, it hurts. But actually, I think we've probably done a better job as a consequence. Um, better job. We've got more patience. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the things is that you do. Well, I feel I've got more patience, and I, I and I also I've had I've, I've got all my partying out of the way. But but equally, I go. You know, we, when the kids want to go to the Melbourne um, Royal Melbourne show, and I'm in my fifties, and they want to go on the rides, and I'm saying, let's go on the teacups, and they go, no, Dad, let's go on the dislocator, and um, <laughs> Dad, take us on the blood clot, and. Yeah. Uh, and my wife's saying, yes, Jeff, get on the blood clot with them. I said, but I'm in my 50s. It turns you upside down, throws your body into five different directions. I'll have a stroke. Imagine coming that come from the Royal Melbourne Show. Did your dad enjoy the Royal Melbourne Show? You can ask him. It'll take a while to get his answer out because you have to tap him out with his nose on a special keyboard. But at least you get, do get a park nearer to the turnstiles. But anyway... Now, look, the, the one thing I think that the universal truth that people accept about artists or flaneurs or any, anyone that spends a great deal of time contemplating is, is that you, 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 you have an enormous need for introversion and you have an enormous need to spend just long hours by yourself contemplating things so that you can reconstitute it into a, a, a consumable form, either comedy or a novel or a radio play or a podcast or something. But when the kids come along, that's kind of gone, unless you're an asshole and you just leave it to your partner to do <laughs> But I don't get that feeling that you two have done that. So, so what I, I have a very uh, genuinely, I have a very understanding partner, and and often she will say to me, "You, you know, you are following your dream." I, I don't. She, I like to bring the, the children up, but I want a break, and um, and it's it's very hard to get the right balance out between um, her having a break and you bringing in the income. I mean, that's every every family's going through that. One of the good things I did feel when I had kids was I was actually losing touch with my audience. When I was in my 30s, I'd, I was partying, had, had quite a lot of money, uh, disposable income without children, and I felt like I, was, I wasn't connecting. The main thing about comedy is three rules of comedy, connect, connect, connect. They're, they are the rules of comedy, and you have to, you have to connect. Your job on stage is to attend to your relationship with the audience at all times. And the minute you stop um, uh, looking after your relationship with them is the minute you start dying on stage. So that relationship that you have with the audience is vital. And I found that I was having less and less in common with the people who were going, doing it tough, who were bringing up children, who were paying mortgages, who were struggling with bills. And I was really struggling to find out what we had in common. Then the children came along and suddenly I had a lot more in common. Yeah. And, 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 and it really re, it rebuilt my relationship and, and made me, I think, a better, more um, empathic comic. So you joined the club, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And, and what about you, Matt? Because it, you would have been on a similar pathway, I, I guess. Um, you're, you're relatively late to parenting, you said. So, so yeah. what were you doing with all of that free time you had? Um, well, it, it is a similar story. I didn't quite hit uh, Jeff's income stream or level of prettiness, so I didn't have uh, quite the parties available to me. But uh, it, it is a very similar sensation. But the main difference I've found with the writing, because we are a, a two-income family, unless you ask my partner, in which, I, which case she'll say one and a half, and I'm not the one. Um, <laughs> but so as a result, I'm you know I work at night. I do home dad for for most of the day. And I've learnt previously. I used to take about half an hour to settle myself into a writing session, like kind of unwind, set everything up, get it. And now I have half an hour. And so if I spend yeah. all that time unwinding, unwinding, I'm unprepared for the combat I have to go back into with the children. Yeah. I've got two minutes to get in, get started, and get underway. And then be hauled back in as soon as you find... As soon as you smell smoke, basically, you know the writing session's over. Because one of the children who's gotten out of sight 
has put a knife in something electric. So th that's when you know creativity is done. Find the phone call and the ambulance back to real life. My wife says, um, I said, darling, I'm having trouble writing my show. I can't look after the children. She says, you've got five minutes. Go and write some jokes now. <laughs> yeah. I go, oh, yeah, I can get into the zone in five minutes. She just thinks it just fucking falls out of me. But it doesn't. It's, um, it, look, it, it sounds cruel, but I suspect it's supportive. It's very supportive. I couldn't have done it without her. And I genuinely could not have done anything. Couldn't have been a parent and a comic without her. Now, um, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to put this out there squarely. If you'd stayed in Britain, you probably would have been a bigger star and earned more money. Australia just can't really support its artists. And it doesn't want to. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily like us unless there's a bushfire fund and then it really likes us. But um, so, so can, I talk, can, can you talk a little bit about, as much as I know you love and appreciate your wife and moving here, there is a part of you, I imagine, that thinks if you'd stayed in Britain... Um, apart from Boris Johnson, you would have had a bigger career. Is that fair to say? I, I yes, I would definitely. Because the UK, definitely, the UK is in the middle of everything. I mean, yeah. there's lots of opportunities. You got, you know, you got all the radio stations, yeah. radio one, two, three, four, five. You got all the BBCs, nine BBCs, ITV, Channel Five, and they're all creating a comedy, a good quality comedy. And there's just opportunities at all times. And 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 the UK is in the centre of things. I know that because I used to read. Headlines when I lived in London, like, um, you know, if a global financial crisis envelops the world, world leaders gather in London to discuss fiscal strategy. Then I came to Australia, I read headlines like, Trap Supermarket Sparrow Finally Freed. <laughs> and I went, all right. Oh, well. And the cost of real estate and football. Yeah, yeah, yes, and 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 less 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 value attached to their to their com comedians, and it's a shame because their comedians are great. You know, we've got um, wonderful uh, social commentators like uh, Will Anderson, like like all of the people who are you know earning a living uh, in this country are, are difficult living, but they are earning it. You mentioned earlier about um, the kind of era that we're in. And um, I've watched. I've been. A, I've been a comedian for thirty years. I did my first gig when Ronald Reagan was president. Oh, that's sorry. that's a long time ago. So I've watched all of the um, the trends. So when I started out, it was very political. Ben Elton was was uh, a big comic in those days. Then we went uh, into observational. I'm considered an observational comic. Observational comedy. People like Michael McIntyre, me, um, uh, Adam Hills, people like that. Um, then then we then we went into surreal, like Eddie Izzard, Ross Noble. They're surreal comics. Then improv, lots of people just, you know, trying to um, work with what the audience has got. And then back around to politics again. We're currently in the Me Too era of comedy, which has happened for the past couple of years. Um, Australia has a very small comedy community, and they, they sometimes can be very self-important. And they do tend to like to put their uh, opinions down. And we do feel under pressure at the moment to be to be censoring ourselves. There is it, it is not a libertarian atmosphere. You can you can't. There are things you cannot say in Australia. In the UK, it's still a very broad church. You can say what you like, and the audience will decide. In Australia, we are we are we're self-censoring, aren't we? We are self self-censoring. I don't think it's a good thing. I much prefer anything to be said on stage and for the audience to decide whether it's funny, valid, um, or good jokes or bad jokes. Um, I don't like censorship and it's a shame that we do have it in this country. So Matt, do you think that the presence of social media and its impact on what comedians can and can't do, apropos of what um, Jeff just said, like, do, do you think it's improved life for comedians or is it, is, are we just becoming incredibly um, overly self-aware and a bit too precious here in Australia? Well, 
the word echo chamber gets thrown around about social media a lot, and it, you find that every market becomes uh, divided into smaller and smaller sub-markets. And so trying to find an idea that captures a large group gets harder and harder as people tune in more and more to their own uh, comfort area. So it, it's, as with any technology, you can trot out the uh, standard uh, get-off-my-lawn line of, you know, there's good and bad in any sort of uh, groundswell shift. But in the case of social media, one thing, uh, there was... Uh, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was. There was basically a, a letter signed by uh, about a dozen legends of Australian comedy, but uh, legends of a previous style, shall we say. Uh, people like you, you, Kevin Bloody Wilson and Vince Sorrenti, I think, was in there as well, all bemoaning uh, the overly PC nature of the audience. And the, the main thing that came to mind to me is that I mean th these are people that have earned their stripes over a long time, even if uh, their style of some of them does not gel with the the current audience. Something I think that every comedian needs to remember is that your next audience owes you nothing. They do not uh, owe you a laugh because you put in a certain amount of time or uh, a certain uh, a certain number of miles in the Tarago. You have to make that group in front of you laugh. And, and this is what Jeff was talking about. Uh, connect, connect, connect. You have to go to them and make the experience happen in their heads. And so they don't owe you a laugh because you've turned up. You have to earn it each time you go out. And so with the current bemoaning uh, largely... And this is the, also social media has uh, made it that there's like a permanent record of everything we do now. There are no mistakes that get swept under the carpet because the carpet is being lifted, under, lifted up and looked under all the time and in a permanent ongoing way. That's a good point, yeah. When I started out, there was no internet. There wasn't even any telephones or electricity. <laughs> we, were all, we were doing gigs on horseback. Um, I, it's, How about it, that wheel then? It was, uh, uh, yeah, it's true. No, people used to heckle more. That's uh, people they heckle. Do. It was a wall That's of heckling. True. Now with the internet, they don't need to. They can go to their toilet and heckle you at home. Mm. Send you a nasty tweet. Um, but I, I enjoyed heckling. I enjoyed the the mm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, he not, said he that's not heckling, that's booing. Say, he said he enjoyed heckling, not There's cattle. nothing clever about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, 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 and oh, some of the great things, you know, hecks, I've heard some wonderful heckles. You, have what, have you, what, what was oh, the best heckle you've ever oh. had? Um, I, had a guy, I saw a guy on stage, a, a guy who, um, uh, who walked on and said, I'm a, good evening, I'm a schizophrenic. And someone shouted, why didn't you both fuck off then? <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Yeah. I, I think that's very much a UK thing. In the in the UK, heckling is more of a contest. Yeah. In Australia, you're lucky to find a heckler that uses consonants. <clears throat> yeah. It tends to be, <laughs> ah, 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 which is a, harder to no, develop a repost to. Australian heckling, you generally don't find, you, you, you find it lower than the blood alcohol level, I think, yeah. is generally the, 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 the concept of it. It's awkward, isn't it? Um, okay, so I, you, you've tapped into what I think is, is starting to emerge again. 
Comedy has sort of sat in the background as a bit of window dressing in the in recent decades. We've had a great economy. We are starting to get to some pretty awkward times in on the global uh, horizon. We have um, untold numbers of extinct species about to drop off the planet. We have uh, environmental change happening. We have a virus that's turning into a pandemic, which no one has seen the likes of since the Spanish flu. I think comedians are going to be uh, highly in need one more time. Mm. But what I did want to ask you... They is do come into their own, actually. You're right. Comedians come into their own when when, the, when our backs are against the wall. That happened in the UK and during um, after the GFC and austerity. And um, and, and also during the Gulf War, um, com comedians were, were suddenly sought out by audiences for relief, but also for observations and for dialogue and for um, narrative on what's happening and making sense of it. That's right, making sense of it and kind of cutting to the chase yeah. and, and actually explaining to the, to the public what is happening. But in the context of political correctness, it's getting a little bit weird. So my question to you is, given that there are currently people that are still trapped on a boat as we speak, what's it like being a comedian on a cruise? <laughs> um, well, uh, what's it like being a comedian on a cruise? The heckling thing comes to mind again because you can get heckled days after the show. <laughs> and a cruise ship's the only place that will give you that environment. You'll find yourself getting heckled at lunch. You are trapped on board. And there's a lot of old people. It's like a floating Adelaide uh, cruise ship, generally. It's, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, in, uh, you know, and uh, I, I don't mind them. I, I find them, I find that, you know, you, you get stuck behind them on the, on, you know, going up the gangplank and they're discussing the ship going, hope this is going to be better than when we sailed with Noah. You think, you know, you, come on, you old bastards. I want to get to the cabin before the ice caps melt. But um, they are, they're, 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 they're they, their audiences, that's the thing as a comic, you can't be precious. Their audiences, they're people, and you have to connect with them. And you have to find a bridge. And I don't mind, I don't mind, I don't mind audiences. I love, that's why I'm, that's why I'm in this game. I love performing for people. Well, that is another question, Jeff. With a degree in chemical engineering, yep. you could have been making pills. You could have been making <laughs> taking any pills. Sort of, you could have been any, but you but you went for comedy. So what what happened? Um, what genuinely happened? I worked for a company called BOC when I left uni. Were uh, selling oxygen and acetylene to welders. Then I got fed up of the glamour of that. <laughs> and um, too many paparazzi. Yeah. I got dumped by a girl. And a lot of comedians, there is usually a big incident that happened in their lives that made them get on stage. You know, maybe they lost a job, lost a parent, you know, had a, had a relationship breakdown that just made them go, what am I going to do? Am I going to be this person in my previous life or is it, is it going to be a catalyst for change? And so I got dumped by this girl and I was like, I'll show you. I will show you I'm not going to be that guy that still works at BOC in Neath in South Wales. I will get out on stage and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and prove her wrong. Wow. And, and what, do, what do you think your wife would say to this girl if they ever met? Uh, well, she said, I, she said, she's my next of kin on my, on my passport because I thought, you know, if I die, she can deal with all my shit, right? <laughs> Just, uh, one. So you, you're clearly over her then. I'm, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, my wife would be, I, was, I guess, suspect my wife would be fine. Thank you for dumping him. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it was it, that was the reason I, was, I went to the comedy store uh, to cheer up and saw three comics and went. This is what I want to do. Wow, that's amazing, Matt. Matt, do you, do you, do you have a sort of a, um, a muggle life as well as as comedian? Oh, I think it's part of the parcel. I mean, uh, as I was talking to one of your lovely audiences members before, uh, 
well-balanced people don't go into comedy. They don't need to. <laughs> um, I actually, to combine it with the previous topic, I almost made a cruise passenger cry by accident. Um, I love doing it deliberately, but this one was by accident. Now, we were in conversation. I mentioned clearly my sons in the show, and this uh, lovely person asked me how I would feel if my sons wanted to go into comedy. And without thinking about it, I immediately said, I hope to give my sons a secure enough upbringing that they feel no need to go into comedy. <laughs> and she's immediately going, oh. <laughs> like I was this broken thing. She might thing. have cried. I suspect your mother probably cried more. Oh, she just enjoyed the fact that I was out of the house at night. So <laughs> I was a disappointment to my mother doing comedy, I felt. Really? I do, because she well, she's a single mum and she got me through uni and a lot of, a lot of um, sacrifices. And then I said, I'm going to be a comedian. She cried. My mother thought all comedians were manic, depressive, drug-addicted alcoholics. Wow, she was so accurate. She's bang on, because mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> But when they self-medicate and they get it just right, they're wonderful to be <laughs> But she must be happy for you now. You've, you've moved here, happy you've now. got a lovely family, and you live in a nice part of the world and so forth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she can visit without, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, without stopping at Christmas Island. So that's a good thing for her. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, look, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up soon too. But you both write independently of stand-up. The thing is, a lot of the public don't believe that comedians actually write out the stuff that that's they're going to say. But you kind of have to, don't you? Uh, well, some some don't. So, you know, I, people say, "Where do you get your material from?" I go, "I, I three places. One is the blank page um, with 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 the heading. The other is uh, when I'm on stage and improvising around the topic that I've that I've um, or the ideas that I've I've written on the blank page. And then sometimes the audience will chip in. So, did you improvise a bit tonight? I, I, I usually I'm improvising when the audience is really behind it. Yeah, there's a couple of bits I've, mm-hmm. I've put in. Um, uh, yeah, there's because that's quite a new show. That um, that I've I did tonight. Yes. that's from Adelaide and Perth. Okay, so a lot of that was new. A lot of the times I was still still not still. Well, not, I liked it because I hadn't heard it. Into I was my tongue it. Yet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and and what about you, Matt? Do do you do? You, I mean, again, with the five minutes between the children throwing <laughs> toys out of the side of the car and so forth, smelling the yes. ma- smoke. Oh, uh, sure. But the thing, but I did think that when I had a young child and I was you know walking and walking and walking and I thought you know what. I can't write any more novels. I have no time. But I can write five minutes of comedy and I'm just going to do that. I was just going to say that Jeff and I have two very different processes because I particularly when I'm writing stand-up, I always think about myself. I don't write well. I react well. Okay. So I will, if I'm uh, trying to write on a particular topic, I will just read as much as I can and find ideas to bounce off rather than starting from the blank page. I need to, be, need to have something to react to. To, to use tonight, for example, I had a plan for how I was going to open the set and then you introduced me as being a nice guy. Yeah. And that sent me in a completely different direction um, because for the reasons I outlined, nice not really in my repertoire at the moment and won't be until I can get back into some hamburgers. Because of the eczema? Yeah, because of this lack of sugar and carbs in my life. But the eczema is psychosomatic, Matt. You're just causing yourself an illness. You're not the first person to say that. Uh, you may be the last. <laughs> no, I do. I do. <laughs> no, we, we do. Uh, uh, people who suffer from any sort of allergic reaction hear the whole psychosomatic thing a lot. Uh, and I, I, uh, you, you couldn't see... Uh, Stella's kind of the glint in her eye there. She, she did that as a wind-up. And if I, if I was eating normally, it wouldn't have worked. But I'm not. <laughs> so. 
So yes, we okay. Have, moving we, on. You make uh, car park now. No. I um, just to bounce off what Matt said. I, I, although I do have a blank page, I can't write about anything until I know how I feel about it. Yeah. I have to feel something. I have to feel, and it's not always anger. Anger's not a funny emotion. People don't like to laugh at angry people. Grumpiness exa- is funny. It's exasperation is funny, but not anger. Yeah. Um, so you have to find your exasperation, and you have to find um, because audiences are also they're triangulating what's what you're saying. What's your emotion? What do you think about what you're saying? And then they triangulate and then they find the joke in the middle. When you're emotion neutral, audiences don't can't laugh. An emotion neutral comedian. What does he? What does he think about what he's saying? She think. What you know? We need to know where. What we need to know where the feelings are from your point of view um, to, to to find what you're saying funny. So I need to find out what I'm what I think about. And often you have to choose a very strong emotion about something. If I'm talking about the Royal Melbourne show, I can't be, oh, I went to the Royal Melbourne show. People don't care. Oh, next. That's not interesting. But if you went, I just went to the Royal Melbourne show. It was the worst fucking day of my life. People go, oh, tell us more. Because they've had that experience. Yeah, well, and, 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 you're, and they can see your, your um, commitment to the, to the topic. I think comedians are vicarious empaths. I think that the, that we sort of carry the hopes and dreams of all of the audience, but we also carry the fears and conundrums that we face each day as well. And if we're any good, we do. As if a, lot we're of, any good. Yeah. a lot of us that don't manage that. No, that's true. You pointed at me then. I feel awkward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, listen, um, I want to thank you both so much for coming along to Stellavision at the Newport Comedy Room and um, our little podcast that we've been creating for some time now. You can hear it on Audible. You can hear it on Spotify. Thanks to Dave Stokes, author to audio, who has been putting all of these together for me. Thanks again to the Newport Comedy Room as a club. And thank you both for such a um, great insight into what it is to sort of, you know, write comedy and be uh, a comedian because, Jeff, you've just analysed it beautifully and it is far more complex and a far greater skill and an art that I think people really ever want to give it credit. But I, I think... Uh, they in, should in try it. Get, t- write five <laughs> minutes tonight when you get home. You just go. try it. And then instead I'll give you five minutes. That's jump right. Up. And don't just write it and then stand on stage and just see how Perform it feels me. because it's a great way of losing weight. It really is. You <laughs> can, um, yeah, you, you, a couple of kilos go just very, very quickly. But, hey, listen, thank you all so much. Can we please give a big round of applause to Jeff and Matt for their participation tonight? Um, what great guests they've been and, and what sort of fantastic insight as well. And thank you also to you as well. And uh, please join us again at Television at the Newport Podcast. Thanks to everybody. See you later. Good night. Good night.